The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Positive Living, the program that brings you practical and inspiring principles for living more authentic, engaging, and passionate lives. Created by Patricia Raskin, a catalyst for positive change. All comments, views, and opinions expressed on this program are solely those of the host, guest, and callers. Now, with Positive Living, here's Patricia Raskin. Well, good afternoon, everyone on the East Coast, and good morning on the West Coast. You are listening to Patricia Raskin Positive Living right here on voiceamerica.com. We have a great program for you today. You know, this is a tough time for a lot of people. A lot of people have lost their jobs or they've lost their savings. Some have lost their homes. I have a renowned author who addresses that subject exactly. His name is Dr. Abraham J. Tworsky. He's an MD. His book is Without a Job, Who Am I? Rebuilding Yourself When You've Lost Your Job, Your Home, or Your Life Savings. Dr. Abraham J. Tworsky is Pittsburgh's most famous psychiatrist. He's the author of numerous acclaimed books, over 50, on self-esteem, healing, spirituality, and recovery. After serving several years as a pulpit rabbi, Dr. Tversky entered Marquette University Medical School in Milwaukee and completed his psychiatric training at the University of Pittsburgh St. Francis Hospital for a number of years. He later founded Gateway Rehabilitation Center, and for 20 years he served as clinical director of the Department of Psychiatry at St. Francis Hospital in Pittsburgh and is currently an associate professor of psychiatry at the University of Pittsburgh School of Medicine. Welcome, Dr. Tworsky. Thank you. If I kept reading, we would spend the whole time talking about all these achievements and accomplishments. But, so I really wanted to get to this book. I've interviewed you many times, and I always find these interviews very inspirational. And, you know, when we look at your title, Without a Job, Who Am I? Rebuilding Yourself When You've Lost Your Job, Home, or Savings. That's a very, very tough question because so many of us do identify with what we do what we do, where we live, what we have. So it's a, it's a tough one. How do you address that? Well, maybe uh, this recession, I won't say the silver lining. It's, it's too painful to be a silver lining. But maybe it's a wake-up call to that very issue um, of the fact that we identify ourselves with our job, which means that if I lose my job, I lose myself. Mm-hmm. That is, that's bad news. Um, I came across a cartoon strip where um, the woman says, but without a job, who am I? And her little four-year-old girl embraces her and says, Mommy. Mm -hmm. And I think that says a great deal. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, you're my mother with a job or without a job. And we have to remember that we are first people, fathers, mothers, brothers, sisters, children. Yes, a job is crucially important, but the job is not who we are. And this is why I say if you've lost your job, that's, it's bad. But don't lose yourself in the process because as long as you still have yourself, you can make some kind of recovery. If you lose yourself, everything goes. Mm, that's true. 
what happens to those people because they lose their job, they can't support their family as well, they have to make a dramatic change in their lifestyle, um, you know, it gets tougher. Well, uh, it's unfortunate that uh, the, the reality is that uh, there are many adverse things that people go through, and we, uh, it would be nice if we could escape all adversity, but that just isn't so. And one of the things we have to do is to learn how to live with adversity. And I think that it's important uh, with our children when we have such a uh, setback, such as a recession and loss of job, that the children see how we are dealing with it, because we certainly hope and pray that their lives will be wonderful without any problems. But that's not, that, that's not reality. And I think that if we can teach the children that, look, here there's been a terrible setback, and uh, we're going to have to make some changes. We can't do all the things the way we used to, but we're going to survive. Somehow we're going to survive, and we're going to uh, be able to continue to be a family. And we're going to find some way to find happiness in spite of the adversity. If we can get that message to the kids, this will have been a a, a, I don't want to use the silver lining, but a, certainly something good that comes out of the recession. Hmm. Now, you worked with addicts for 40 years, and mostly, as you said, drug and alcohol addicts. But right. certainly there are more addictions, and sex addiction is really surfacing now more than ever. Gambling addiction is surfacing more. We're hearing about those, particularly the sex addiction. And then, of course, we have, you know, computers and, and Internet and things that keep people away from, from feeling their feelings. So the question is, if you're dealing with an addict or a co-addict, a codependent of an addict, is this a tougher issue to face, Dr. Tversky? Well, you know, it's, it's a question of gradations. Uh, there are some issues that are tougher than others, and... Um, you know, one of the things that I like to think about uh, when we talk about whether a situation is how tough it is, is the fact that um, it was known for years, for decades, maybe for hundreds of years, that nobody can run the mile, the four minutes, uh, the mile in less than four minutes. So it was a known fact, medically established. And then about 25 years ago, Roger Bannister ran the four-minute mile in three minutes and 59 seconds. And that was a revolutionary thing. But the interesting thing is that after he did that and made the breakthrough, hundreds of people have done it. It was no longer impossible. Mm. And I think that when we look at difficult situations, we should realize they may be difficult, but they're not impossible. And whether it's the uh, loss of a job of recession, which is bad, or it's the development of addiction, which is bad, these are not impossible situations. They're is recovery there can be recovery in any everything but i'm glad you raised the point of addiction because uh when recession hits and people feel down it's not unusual for a person to seek relief in one of the addictive behaviors mm -hmm. right and may turn to alcohol or to drugs either prescription drugs or illicit drugs or to gambling you know maybe if i make a big winning i'll be able to save my house from being foreclosed mm -hmm. And um, uh, these kinds of things uh, are we, we become more vulnerable to them when an adversity like a recession happens, and we have to be very careful that we don't turn to such possibly destructive behaviors. Mm. Okay. A question I have that's a little off the subject of the book, 
but since you have dealt with addictions for so many years, when someone is recovering, they've been through a 12-step program, they realize what their addiction is or their co-addiction, and, and they've stayed away from the substance or the behavior for some time. And they go to a group and they say, hello, I'm so-and-so, I'm an alcoholic or I'm an addict. Are they really still an addict? Do, should we be putting labels on people when they're recovering? Well, nobody else should put the label on, but the person himself needs to remember about themselves that they have this condition because there's always the possibility of thinking, oh, I can handle a drink again, and then there's a relapse. But when I uh, relate to people, I say, look, you do have to remember that you're an addict, but I don't want to hear you say, my name is Jane and I'm an addict. I want to hear you say, my name is Jane, I am a beautiful person who is an addict. I think we have to remember that basically we are beautiful people, and the more we realize about ourselves that we are beautiful people, the less is the likelihood that we will mess ourselves up by doing things that are harmful. And what about the co-addict? We don't hear as much about that. Do they have as much of a disease as the addict? Well, it, the, the co-addict does not like to think of themselves as being diseased, but I think that they have to realize that the addiction can only continue, just like fire can only continue in the presence of oxygen. Mm-hmm. Now, oxygen doesn't, doesn't cause a fire, otherwise the, every, everything would burn up. But if, if, uh, if something starts burning, you pour water around because that deprives the excess of oxygen to the flame. I think that the co-addict is like the oxygen to the addict, mm. that the co-addict, the way that they relate to the addict, may allow the addiction to continue. And that's why the codependent or the co-addict needs to get an education to what addiction is all about and what is his or her part in relating to the addict so that recovery can occur. Mm-hmm. And that co-addiction of, as you said, flaming the addict or um, enabling the addict could accelerate in this time where people have lost their jobs. Of course. Of course. No, look, obviously, if, uh, if a, let's say the husband is the breadwinner, the husband loses his job, that affects everybody, and the wife is as, uh, and the children are all as deeply affected as the husband is. Of course, to him, it may be in addition to financial loss, it's a question of ego, which is an important concept that I dealt with in the book, because uh, take the situation where a person walks off of his job, he quit his job, right? Now, he may be in the same financial mess as the person who was laid off, but it's different because he did it and he was in control. Mm-hmm. And what's happening when we lost, when a person gets laid off, is in addition to the financial problem, is the psychological thing of, I lost control of my life, things happening to me that I can't control. And, and that's the psychological aspect, and we have to learn how to deal with that. Now, with a co-addict, she's in the same, she or he are in a somewhat similar position where they realize something has happened to them which they have no, no longer any control over. Which is feeding the addict, in a sense. Right. Yeah. All right. My guest is Dr. Abraham J. Torsky. He's the author of numerous acclaimed books on self-esteem, healing, spirituality, and recovery. After serving as a pulpit rabbi, Dr. Torsky served as medical director of psychiatry at St. Pittsburgh at Pittsburgh St. Francis Hospital for a number of years and founded the Gateway Rehabilitation Center. He's written over 50 books. When we come back, we're going to talk about 
his newest book, Without a Job, Who Am I? Rebuilding Yourself When You've Lost Your Job, Home, or Life Savings. You're listening to Patricia Raskin, Positive Living, right here on voiceamerica.com. Stay tuned, folks. There's plenty more. We'll be right back. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Here's a show for baseball players, coaches, parents, and those who love the game. At least 90% of sports success, including baseball, requires mental strength in order to fully benefit from technical ability. And the higher the competition level, the more critical it becomes to possess mental muscle. Tune in every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific time to Championship Thinking, hosted by Jim Meyer and brought to you by the National High School Baseball Coaches Association. Jim, sports psychology coach, trainer, and author of numerous articles and the workbook, Championship Thinking, Building Mental Muscle in Baseball, simplifies the mental game with Easy to understand tools and tips. With his weekly guests, Jim draws from successes with professionals, college, high school, and youth teams, coaches, and players. Learn how to remain confident and focused at crunch time when pressure, tension, and anxiety like to make an uninvited appearance. Tune in and tune up your mental and technical knowledge and skills with Championship Thinking every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time right here on America's Voice, Voice America. Hey, Dad. What? I can't get the ketchup bottle open. Here, let me try. Here you go. Thanks. You don't have to be a hero to be a hero. When you adopt a child from foster care, just being there makes all the difference. To learn more, call 1-888-200-4005. A public service announcement brought to you by Adopt U.S. Kids, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, and the Ad Council. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Hello, everybody. We are back. You are listening to Patricia Raskin Positive Living right here on VoiceAmerica.com. Today, my guest is Dr. Abraham J. Tversky, MD. His book is Without a Job, Who Am I? Rebuilding Yourself When You've Lost Your Job, Your Home, or Your Life Savings. Dr. Torsky is a prolific author. He's authored over 50 books, and he has been doing this work for about 40 years. Dr. Abraham J. Torsky is the founder and is the founder emeritus and medical director of Gateway Rehabilitation Center, a not-for-profit drug and alcohol treatment system in western Pennsylvania, which was cited nationally as one of the 12 best drug and alcohol treatment centers by Forces Magazine and is one of the top 100 rehab centers as a guide in the treatment. Dr. Tversky, an ordained rabbi, held a pulpit until 1959, and then he went on to complete, uh, to go to medical school and complete his psychiatric residency. And he's an, a nationally international authority on chemical dependency. Welcome back, Dr. Tversky. Thank you. All right, here's what I want to ask you, and it's in your book, talking about depression. Now, there's a lot of controversy about this. A lot of people have depression. And now we have lots of drugs for depression. And, of course, what we hear is that, you know, it's we take a drug because it helps our brain chemically that our brain is missing something. 
just if uh, we had diabetes and, our, and we needed help, our pancreas needed help. So the question is that if we need this drug because uh, it gives us serotonin or it's giving us something we're missing, is this something that's necessary for depression or, and or are there other methods such as exercise, relaxation, meditation, therapy? What's your comment on this? Okay, first of all, we have to realize that the human being is a rather complex organism. That the one cannot, cannot separate the uh, mind from the body so that uh, it has been demonstrated that uh, depressed patients who were forced to jog and exercise vigorously had as good a result as from taking an antidepressant medication. Hmm. And the reason for that is is that the uh, intensive exercise produced the same adrenaline-like substances that were released by the medication. So it does come down to a physical uh, treatment, except that instead of taking medication, it was done by exercise. I think we ought to understand that there can be depressions of different types. The person who is laid off from his job is understandably depressed, even if he has no chemical changes in one's body. There's no serotonin problem. He's just depressed because he's lost his job, and that's understandable. Mm -hmm. If he has not had any chemical changes in the body, all of the medications in the world, all the antidepressants are not going to change them because there's nothing for them to fix. Mm -hmm. The medications that can fix the depression are only when there has been some kind of chemical upset. Now, it is possible that the stress of being without a job can work upon someone so severely that he may get a chemical depression. That can happen, and in that case, medication may be helpful. Now, I talked about the antidepressants, that they work by, as you said before, by providing a missing chemical. Mm -hmm. That is not true about tranquilizers. Tranquilizers are totally different than antidepressants because tranquilizers essentially work like alcohol. No matter what the cause is, if you drink enough, you're not going to feel depressed because it kills your feelings. You become mm -hmm. numb. Mm -hmm. So we have to realize that... Uh, uh, Antidepressants may be very helpful in a depression. Tranquilizers have to be used with great caution because, like alcohol, they can become addictive, and you can end up with a condition that is worse than the one you started with. That's interesting. That I, that I was not aware of. Now, on, in terms of antidepressants, can they become addictive? Because isn't Most it hard to get off? Don't you need a, 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 some period to get off? Yeah, I've been retired for a bit, and there's new medications have come out, but to the best of my knowledge, the true antidepressants are not addictive. Now, it may be necessary for a person to take them for a year or a year or two. It is possible that a person may have the kind of chemical problems that he may have to stand on medication for indefinitely. But uh, it is not addictive in the sense that an addiction... The dose always goes up. The person who's addicted to Valium may start off taking 5 milligrams three times a day, a total of 15 milligrams a day, and over a period of several years may end up taking 200 milligrams a day. Uh, so that's the nature of addiction, that the body becomes refractory to the effect of the medication, and you have to keep increasing it. That does not happen with antidepressants. Mm -hmm. Now, with, you write this in your book, in coping with grief and depression, 
one of the things that may trigger that, or as a result of that, it comes a feeling of powerlessness. Right. How do you help people cope with feeling powerless? Well, I think that we have to deal with the reality and realize that there are so many things over which we are powerless. Now, um, a diabetic is not going to feel too bad about the fact that he or she are powerless over the way their body handles sugar. Uh, okay, that's all. An asthmatic is not going to feel uh, depressed about the fact. I mean, they don't like having the disease, but they don't see it as a shortcoming on their part. The problem with uh, addictions is that the person thinks that if he or she cannot control alcohol, that this is some kind of uh, shortcoming, and they begin to feel inadequate about that. So I think we have to realize that um, we are limited as human beings. There are some things over which we are powerless. Now, when it comes to the economy uh, situation, we've just been really struck a terrible blow that people who have felt very secure in their job have now realized that that was a dream and that they are powerless over their future. However, we, to, we have to remember that as human beings, we always are powerful, at least over something. And by that I mean Viktor Frankl, the psychiatrist who was in the death camps and yep. during, the, during the Holocaust, said that he was stripped of everything, including his clothes, but he was still powerful over making the choice of how he is going to face death. Mm-hmm. So sometimes we're down to uh, ground zero, but we always have some degree of powerfulness about how we are going to adjust to the things in life, particularly those things that are not good. What do you say to folks to give them some tips? Now, certainly therapy is is one way that we can go, but if you've lost your job or if you just are feeling powerless, what would you suggest to people to help them build self-esteem? First of all, I think that people are suffering from self-esteem, even if they have a job, a six-figure job, and that they, almost everybody should really do something about looking into their self-concept and self-awareness. But one of the things that I think it's important to know in this uh, uh, recession thing is that um, on Super Bowl Sunday, I saw people who had lost their jobs going crazy cheering for their team when the team made a touchdown. In other words, the fact that they were depressed over lost their job did not take away the fact that they could still be happy about something, about something about team making a touchdown. And I think one of the things that we have to look at in our lives is, yes, I'm powerless over this, but what are the things that I can control? Um, and there are things about myself that I can control. I can, should be able to be powerful over my behavior, over my anger, over how I react with people. I think that we ought to, uh, I'm suggesting to people, I don't minimize the, the impact of the loss of job, but make a journal and every day write in at least one thing that you can be thankful about and review that every night. Every day write in one thing that you did that you can feel good about. And, you know, there are, these are things that are happening in everyday life, and we overlook them. And they can be sources of support to us and sources of even powerfulness by showing that there are things over which we can still have control. Absolutely. 
You know, so many of the people that I've interviewed have also said that when things are tough, the way to bring more abundance into your life is to be grateful for what you have. I don't know why that works and how that works, but apparently it works. Yeah, I don't don't think there's any question about that. Um, uh, I I do think that uh, there are things, uh, especially in times of adversity, if we look for things, of which we can be grateful, it does give us a uh, uh, an upbeat. And the reason that we should be upbeat is because if we lose hope, if we lose, if we get into a state of despair, then when opportunities are available, we won't see them. And we have to keep a positive attitude so that when opportunities do present themselves, and you know recessions do go over. and opportunities do come up that we ought to be in a position to recognize them and take advantage of them. Yeah, very, very important. All right, we're going to take a break, but I I do want to, before we do that, I just want to talk a little bit about the whole idea of the power greater than ourselves when we give thanks. Okay. It It can be God, it can be someone who believes there's a higher power, different religions practice differently. Talk about that, please. Okay. No, I was asking you to talk about it now. Dr. Tversky? Yes, I am. Oh, you're thinking. I'm here. Yeah, well, that was my question. Oh, okay. My question was talking about the higher power. All right. And how we look at that, no matter what our faith is. Of course, there is um, uh, people, some people have religious and uh, uh, some people, for whatever reason, uh, are tuned out of religion. Um, again, people who have religion have different ideas of God, and that, that, that varies. I do think that one of the things that we have learned from uh, addiction is that when if a person realizes that there is a facet of my life that I cannot control, over which I am powerful, and if it's important to me, I have to find some way of getting some power over it. And one person turns to God because he believes that God is all-powerful. Another person who says, well, I'm an atheist, but recognizing that I am powerless, maybe I can find the support in other people who can help me, and they become, as it were, my God, even though it's not a deity. So I do think that it comes down to... Uh, accepting the fact that we have limitations and that yet that there must be some way that we can be able to uh, find a source of power greater than us. Again, convenient for convenience, maybe people refer to God. Uh, but again, this doesn't limit it to people who are religiously oriented. Uh, there are people who, for whatever reason, do not have a belief in God and they can um, uh, gain strength and uh, with sources of power greater than themselves. All right. All right, we're going to take a break. And when we come back, we are talking to Dr. Abraham Tversky. His book is Without a Job, Who Am I? Rebuilding Yourself When You've Lost Your Job, Home, or Life Savings. You're listening to Patricia Raskin, Positive Living, right here on voiceamerica.com. Stay tuned, folks. We'll be right back. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. 
Do you know that over 70% of Americans with severe disabilities are unemployed? Are you one of the 2.5 million Americans with epilepsy? If you are or know someone struggling with these issues, tune in to Disability Matters with Joyce Bender. On the show, Joyce will discuss these issues as well as others. She will have a nationally known guest that will offer helpful insight on disability matters and let you, the listener, call in with your questions and concerns. So if you struggle with a disability or know someone who does, listen to Disability Matters with Joyce Bender. Heard every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time here on voiceamerica.com. I can take care of myself. I can make a peanut butter sandwich. I can brush my teeth and I can give myself a bath. I can walk home alone from school. I can pick dinner from the trash behind the deli. I can watch the baby for the whole weekend. I can keep a baseball bat by my bed just in case there's trouble. Don't worry about me. I can take care of myself. If you're in jail, who'll be there to take care of your family? Something to think about before committing a gun crime. Gun crimes hit home. This message brought to you by Project Safe Neighborhoods and the Ad Council. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Hello, everybody. We are back. You are listening to Patricia Rapkin, Positive Living, right here on VoiceAmerica.com. A great guest. We're talking about who we are when we've lost external things in our lives. My guest is Dr. Abraham J. Torsky, M.D., His book is Without a Job, Who Am I? Rebuilding Yourself When You Lost Your Job, Your Home, or Your Life Savings. Dr. Torsky is the founder and medical director emeritus of Gateway Rehabilitation Center, which is a not-for-profit drug and alcohol treatment system. Dr. Torsky is an ordained rabbi. He held a pulpit until 1959. He went on to medical school and then became a psychiatrist and for 20 years served as the clinical director for the Department of Psychiatry at St. Francis Hospital in Pittsburgh. He's currently an associate professor of psychiatry at the University of Pittsburgh School of Medicine. Dr. Torsky is recognized as an international authority on chemical dependency, and as I said, he's written about 50 books. Welcome back, Dr. Torsky. Okay, holiday time. In-laws, you wrote a book on in-laws, and many of us are with our in-laws and family during this time. They say you can choose your friends, but you can't choose your family. So what do we do about that? Well, I think that the uh, topic of in-laws is an extremely important one because in-laws' relationship can be very happy. There are some wonderful families with wonderful relationships with in-laws, but there are also problematic uh, uh, situations. And these problematic situations cause a lot of grief for everybody, for the in-law parents, for the children-in-law, for the grandchildren. And I think that there are many of these problems that arise in large relationships are due to misunderstandings. If only we could understand a little better why some people behave as they do, uh, it would we would look at their behavior totally different. We would not take offense. Um, we would not feel uh, uh, insulted. Uh, we would be able to be more cooperative. So um, I spent some time in that book talking about the unconscious ideation, subconscious ideation, because we, th- we tend to think that what we think about and what we know in our thoughts, that's the way we act. And we're not aware that sometimes we may be reacting out of subconscious feelings. Just a very simple uh, situation. Young woman had a problem with relating to her mother, 
But because she was always respectful to her mother, she never was able to express any anger toward her mother. But it welled up within her. She had that within her subconscious. Now she gets married. And now she has a mother-in-law who stands in a similar position to what her mother was. She doesn't feel too bad about expressing anger toward her mother-in-law. So what happens is that she now projects the anger from her mother onto her mother-in-law, who doesn't deserve it. And if we could understand where the sources of our feelings are coming from, sometimes we could avoid some very painful uh, relationships uh, in uh, parents-in-law and children-in-law. However, the mother-in-law may still, um, she still may have problems with the mother-in-law, so how does she deal with it? And well, how does we have she handle to it? How does she stand up for herself? Okay, again, uh, with a little bit of understanding as to where that may be coming from. You know, parents cry when their children get married. Oh, I'm so happy. Well, if you're so happy, what are you crying about? Well, yes, they are happy, but we have to realize also that when you marry off a child, there's going to be a little bit of a loss because that child that was with you for the last 20 to 25 years is now going to be living separate, is now going to transfer that affection to someone else, and there's no way to, do, uh, to avoid that, that it is per- may be perceived as a loss. And I think that we have to understand that the love that you have for a spouse is not like the love you have for a parent. You never lose the love for a parent. And to understand, though, that my mother-in-law doesn't want to, she doesn't really want to meddle, uh, she just wants to be close to us. And if we can find a way to keep that closeness without them uh, meddling, that'll solve that problem. Now, that's not a panacea. There are some in-laws that are meddlers and you can't stop them. But in many situations, the uh, parents simply want to be sure that they're not going to lose a relationship with the son and daughter that they've had for the past 25 years. And if we can understand that, we can put it in a different perspective. Because hmm. they're coping with loss is what you're saying. Right. You know, they're, they're, in a way, they're kind of grieving a loss. Right. Yeah, I know. Uh, somebody says, you know, if you've raised your child to be happily married to another person, you've succeeded. Mm-hmm. So you succeeded in putting yourself out of a job. Interesting. Right? And that's what good parents do. Yeah. They succeed at putting themselves out of a job and making their child no longer dependent upon them and going off into a family unit of their own. That's success, and we ought to be proud of the success instead of feeling bad about it. Mm-hmm. And, and you wrote a whole book on this, Dr. Torsky. Well, there are so many aspects of the in-law relationship. There are some times where in-laws do try to control, and we have to learn how do you deal with a you, you said very good before. How do you stand up to a person? Mm-hmm. What do you do with your uh, uh, mother-in-law or father-in-law wants to control? Um, and I think that there's a, uh, a, a tactful way of doing it that is uh, not going to alienate them. Uh, on the other hand, if you pick it up as a challenge and you go to battle, well, if you go to battle, then when you start fighting, the other one fights back, and then it's a lost cause. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's uh, it's it's learning how to deal with it. But you, what you're saying is it's understanding. It's understanding where this is all coming from. Exactly. But that's also self-reflection, Dr. Torsky. You've got to look at yourself in order to do that. I'm sorry? It, that's self-reflection. You have to look at yourself to understand well, of course. No, really, I mean, you have to look at your own dynamic with your own mother, for example. Exactly, exactly. But, you know, one of the problems is 
that we are so often hesitant to look at our own dynamics. It's so much easier to look at other people's dynamics, sure. to look at other people's shortcomings and other people's faults rather than at, than at our own. And we do that. So, so often we project onto others what are really our own problems. Mm-hmm. All right. We have about three minutes left. So tell us, what, what are your closing thoughts? You've written so many books, and a lot of the books you've written were based around the Peanuts characters of Charles Schultz. And I remember you saying in one interview how Charlie Schultz didn't realize about the psychological significance that he had with his characters, and you helped him do that. So kind of what's your message? Well, you know, somebody once asked me, is it true that you've written 50 books? I said, no, I have written one book in 50 different ways. Mm. Because my theme repeatedly, and this is so true of Mr. Schultz, is that we need to come to a self-awareness because so many of us are walking around with mistaken concepts of ourselves because we've really never taken the time out to really examine ourselves fearlessly and find out what it is that really makes us tick. Um, If we can overcome that and get a true self-awareness, I think we can improve our self-esteem, we can improve our our relationships with other people, friends, children, parents, in-laws, anyone. Yeah, I really appreciate that. How can people find out more about your books and your work? Well, right now, I have just launched a website, so they can do that. AbrahamTwersky.com All right. All right, Dr. Tversky. You know, it's really been a pleasure to be here with you. And again, you have so many books, so they can go to your personal website. And you said all of the books are there. Right. All right. And... Let me just say that your latest book is Without a Job, Who Am I? Rebuilding Yourself When You've Lost Your Job, Your Home, or Your Life Savings by Dr. Abraham J. Tversky. It's always a pleasure, Dr. Tversky, to have you on the program. My pleasure. Yes. All right, folks. Okay. Uh, Just want to say that you can tune in every Monday between 2 and 3 p.m. Eastern and between 11 a.m. and noon Pacific. Listen to Patricia Raskin Positive Living right here on voiceamerica.com. And write to me, Patricia, at patriciaraskin.com, and I'll put you on my mailing list. I have three radio shows. And, you know, as Dr. Tversky said, it's always it's been about self-esteem. It's one message 50 different ways. That's what I do with this program. It's all about positive thinking and about turning our obstacles into opportunities and our problems into solutions. And I have, you know, many, many guests, but it is the same theme because self-esteem is everything. It's the emotional backbone, just like our spine is our physical backbone. So just want to close by saying stay healthy, stay happy, get the support you need, and know that you can make your dreams come true. Until next time, I'm Patricia Raskin for Patricia Raskin Positive Living. Have a great Monday and a great week. Bye for now. Listening to Positive Living with Patricia Raskin, a catalyst for positive change. For an autographed copy of Patricia's book, Pathfindings, Seven Principles for Positive Living, log on to RaskinResources.com. And tune in next Monday at 2 p.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Pacific for Positive Living, right here on VoiceAmerica.com.
Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. 